that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome to Buckeye Talk, another Market Down Monday, and actually a historic day, the first re-market down Monday, or the first erase it and market down again Monday, something we've never tried here. I hope, I hope we're not compromising the sanctity of Market Down Monday here. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com. He's Doug Maurice. He's Stephen Means. Obviously, the football season has started. We made a bunch of predictions over a series of podcasts about how this season was going to unfold, and then the season looked like it was falling apart in front of our eyes. And then there wasn't going to be a season as far as the Big Ten. And then now there is. But some other teams are already playing. And some teams aren't. And some players aren't. And so we thought it would be a good idea to maybe give ourselves the option to, to revisit what we previously marked down and see if we need to make any changes. Do you guys feel like this is a, a, a refreshing opportunity to get to do this, to, to make sure our record is correct? Or do you feel like we are sullying the good name of Market Down Monday with this compromise. Were we supposed to remember what we said last time? I will tell reference? you what you said. Oh, good. Time. Okay, thank you for looking that up. Um, no, I think we have to do it, and I feel caught in a weird spot because to me it feels like, ah, college football hasn't started yet. Yeah, plenty. But by the time Ohio State plays, other people are going to have played like four or five games. Mm-hmm. So I do think we have to take the chance to redo it, and there are some other things that I want us – that we will take the chance to redo, I think – closer to when the big 10 starts but then as we're redoing it we're going to have a lot of information already available to us so i think the distinction here is most of the time when sports writers pick things it's to try to look cool because it's our only chance to look cool and that's not going to be the goal this year because we're going to have so much information ahead of time that let's say we have a playoff discussion say we have a heisman discussion now and we already have to Spencer Rattler games. So we're not going to look cool, but we have to set the record straight because we have to tell our listeners what we think now. So the chance to be cool, dead, over. But the chance to set the record straight with the information we have, very important. So I, me, Doug, I am willing to sacrifice my own personal coolness in service of Buckeye Talk. And I think you guys are willing to do the same. That is a big sacrifice. Steve willing, <laughs> willing to sacrifice our coolness. Buckeye talk. Steven, uh, do you feel like, I mean, so the SEC has played one week, some big 12 teams, some ACC teams have played multiple games and then some other teams um, from conferences that may or may not have anybody that we're, we're thinking about in terms of a national way have played a couple games, but so not a huge amount of college football, but again, the big 10 start is still a month away. So Doug's right. Like things are going to be, the rest of the country will have piled up a lot. And we do know a lot more about some of these teams than we did just in terms of who's playing and, and who uh, the theoretical performance before versus the actual performance that we've seen in the first couple of games. So did you feel like based on just a couple of weeks that your opinion has changed on some of these things, either nationally or in the big 10, which hasn't played yet, but has had some personnel changes and things like that. Not in my selection though, but who might else, who else might get to New York probably has a little bit just because I think at this point, everybody's played at least one real team of all the people who are playing, like, as in one FBS school. So you have that to go off of. And I think whoever, if a Big Ten player is going to get in there, you're almost, instead of you know, putting everybody on equal footing, you're going, okay, is what that guy is going to do better than what these guys are already doing? So you at least have a basement level of, you know, to compare things with. What's the most surprising thing you've seen through this, the first 
three weeks of games. Everyone who's played blows is the, my most surprising thing. I was ready to tweet yesterday. If Georgia, LSU, Oklahoma, and Texas all lose today, has Ohio State clinched a playoff spot? Like, it's, it's unbelievable. And I'm trying to figure out, does it mean it, does it? So LSU and Oklahoma actually did end up losing. Texas and Georgia wound up winning. But Georgia looked like crap offensively for a while. And Texas got everything it could handle from Texas Tech, right? So does that mean, does that mean I should expect it? We should expect, okay, hey, I don't know. Maybe Ohio State's going to have trouble with Nebraska in week one. Because that's not what I think. So I'm trying to figure out, does it mean only, does this mean that Clemson, Bama, and Ohio State, the teams of the three teams we thought were ahead of the pack, really are that far ahead of the pack, and the race for the fourth spot is going to be a mess? Like last year. Like last year. Because everybody you think might be good, but is that level below elite, is actually going to have a bunch of trouble. Right. So I, I found it fascinating. And I did think to myself, thank God for college football that the Big Ten did come back. Because it'd be like, can you find, <laughs> if it was only the SEC, ACC, and Big 12, could you find four playoff teams out of that morass that happened yesterday? You ready for a playoff that includes Mississippi State and, and Kansas State college football? God bless the Big Ten for coming back. You should be down on your knees thanking them. Yeah, and, and, and like Georgia's the one little caveat where you're like, well, would they have looked so terrible on offense if Jamie Newman hadn't opted out and they hadn't had some other issues there at the quarterback position? And they do end up winning more comfortably in the second half. So, but that was like as a top 25 voter, like that immediately you see that Georgia result and you're like, oh, well, maybe I should think about moving them down. But then I'm like, who do I move ahead of them right now? Like there, there's nobody out there that's been that impressive from that next tier down. And I, I don't think I ended up changing. I think I still have Georgia, Florida back to back at like four or five. Um, but I think you're right. Like this, these first few weeks have really reinforced to me that there may again be that like upper, upper tier of just three programs. Somebody else is going to have to come along and prove that they belong in that conversation. LSU did it last year. And then Alabama obviously didn't live up and couldn't, couldn't stay in those top three, but I don't know who else that would be. I mean, Miami's like, I guess the hot team right now, but I don't know if they have the juice to, to get up to that level. Um, it's you're, you're talking about, and, and they're going to have to get past Clemson this week to even stay in that kind of conversation. So I, I think this has kind of reinforced to me that there may be that, that triumvirate and then somebody is, is playing for the opportunity to go in and get squashed by whoever the number one seed ends up being. Yeah. And it's not going to be Miami because they're going to get their butts with my Clemson at some point this year. You're sure? I, don't, I think sure? so. Don't yeah. they? No, no, no. You're sure they're going to get their butts with yeah. when they play? I think so. Yeah. Why? I think there's, I, there's a, surmountable talent gap between what Clemson is and what Miami is right now. It's good. I mean, they've gotten off to a solid start down there, but until proven otherwise, I'm, I, that's how I'm going to go into that game is that Clemson's going to go in there and they're going to whip their butt. I mean, I think Derek King is the top end of what we think like Michael Penix could be at Indiana, right? That that is a guy, but yeah. King has done it before. So when he transferred to Miami, he came from Houston, right? I mean, that guy mm -hmm. has a resume He's a dynamic player. And of course, I mean, nobody's going to argue that, that across the board, Clemson doesn't have more talent. We all know that. But it's just a difference of how much can one dynamic quarterback make in a game like that. And just like we complain about uh, quarterbacks in the Big Ten, who does Ohio State ever have to really face? I don't know who Clemson ever has to really face. Now, listen, the, the reason that people think North Carolina was like, a, hey, can North Carolina come along 
and challenge Clemson's ears because Sam Howell is a guy at quarterback that was a big-time recruit that people are excited about. King is legit. So I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and predict anything, but when I see a game-changing quarterback, then I, like not all bets are off, but that cracks the door. And so I am certainly not going to be dismissive of Miami's chances in a game like that, because I'm just telling you, that's not what Clemson faces defensively week in and week out, just like it's not what Ohio State faces. Correction, uh, Miami Clemson don't play this next yeah. week. It's Miami's next game, but they don't play till October 10th. Um, Clemson actually doesn't even play this week. I don't think they don't play again until next week against Virginia. So the ACC built in these gaps, much like the Big Ten was doing, except the ACC built in, I think, some 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 double gaps. So that's what's leading to some of that confusion. Yeah, um, well, Clemson plays this week. They'll play this Saturday. They'll play Virginia, and then they'll play Okay, Miami. okay. I'm getting, I'm getting my dates screwed up as we cross over from September into October. Um, you're reading calendars. It's, it's tough stuff, man. Um, the big 12, let's talk about the big 12. Cause I mean, this is a podcast that I think is, is pretty well known for ripping on the ACC. People are, are used to that. The big 12 has been horrific so far in terms of like measuring it against the national landscape. Um, and I, I, as you said, Doug, I don't know what the college football will be doing right now. If the big 10 hadn't come back, maybe even the pac 10, you may even actually, or pac 12, you may actually need some some help from out west to 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 boost up what is happening in, in some of these conferences. I, I would like to I would like to push back a little bit against that characterization of Buckeye talk, because I would like to say that we also have a reputation for ripping Oklahoma's defense. That's so true. that is That's well true. established. Mm-hmm. So the ACC we were dipping our toes in the in the ripping of the Big Twelve. Yeah, I, I would say the ACC slander is more across the board and Wake Forest centric, but as a stand-in for everything wrong with that conference, the the Big Twelve slander is more targeted, more specific. And I did briefly attempt to look up the record of the middle school football pro- programs in Norman, Oklahoma, this week because I wanted to target my criticism of Oklahoma's defense even more specifically. And for instance, cite how many yards. A, a Norman Oklahoma middle school team gave up this year. And was it more or less than what Oklahoma gave up to Kansas state? Alex Grinch is stealing money. National media industrial complex. Alex Grinch is making, I don't know what he's making this year. He made $1.4 million last year. One of the 10 or 12 highest paid play, uh, assistant coaches in the country. Every time somebody thinks I'm wrong, with my argument about assistant coaches making too much money, people like Alex Grinch come along and prove me right. Players win. They're not getting the right players in there and their scheme blows and they suck at this. And so Spencer Rattler makes mistakes, but guess what? Also Lincoln Riley finally is having to play a quarterback that didn't come in from a, as a transfer already partially formed, right? He's having to develop his own guy. Guess what? The guy red shirts last year comes in now throwing some iffy balls, right? But that's the deal. That's how this works. And they don't have a defense that is capable of of letting a young quarterback grow because they can't stop anybody. So if you thought Alex Grinch was a savior in Oklahoma, you're wrong. And being wrong about that has now, now here's the thing. Has it kicked Oklahoma out of the playoff discussion? I would, I will say this. Urban has become a hot take machine. Urban on Fox said Oklahoma's playoff chances are shot. They're not making the playoff. And like Stuart Mandel from The Athletic was like, well, you know what? I said the same thing about Ohio State in 2014, and I was wrong. And Urban's like, Urban's booting Oklahoma out of the playoff already. Yeah, I thought that was really strange. The guy who lost at home to Virginia Tech early in the season and then won a national championship is already – now, maybe he's talking about just the way they looked being a factor in that, but sorry, go ahead. 
No, I mean, it's just the point. I mean, if Oklahoma gets it together and wins the Big 12 as a one-loss team, they have a very good chance to get in. So, I mean, like, let's not go overboard here. They still might make the playoff, but they, if they do make the playoff, it will be with a defense that stinks that's led by Alex Grinch. And it's not personal with Alex Grinch. I, if you are an Alex Grinch family member listening to this, it is personal against anybody that believes that these assistant coaches making a million and a half dollars a year are saviors to programs. Every now and then they are. Most of the time, they're just another guy, an overpaid dude that doesn't solve anything. And this is another example of that. And this is the third straight year we've seen this with Alex Trench, where, I mean, his defenses have looked atrocious. But I've, I, I'm not going to say Oklahoma's playoff chances are shot. They might also, I mean, if they run the table and win the Big 12, they might also benefit from the fact that what we talked about, there's only three certified teams right now. And that's why I'll say Alabama and Clemson. And then it's a big drop off. And I mean, they might just be the team who once again benefits from the fact that they're the, the least bad of the drop offs, I guess. You know, I don't want to do a whole show on this, but we did get some texter questions and, and some commentary kind of along the same line. Like Doug, you were here as the transition was happening, obviously between Ryan day as the kind of heir apparent and then Ryan day taking over his own staff. I mean, this has to make, there's definitely Ohio state fans that wonder now, like what would have happened if Ryan day hadn't come in and kind of cleaned house on the defensive side of the ball, except for keeping Larry Johnson, like that, may end up being the most important coaching decisions he ended up making was, you know, revamping that as it went. Not that, not that he didn't have good reason to, just based on the way that previous season had gone. Well, Grinch was going to leave anyway because Grinch was pissed. So Grinch chose to leave. Grinch thought he was coming here to, be, to call plays defensively, and then Shiano didn't get the Tennessee job, and then Shiano stuck around and still called the plays on that horrible defense in 18, and so Grinch was ticked off about that. So Grinch was leaving anyway, but anybody with a pulse would have cleaned house on that defensive staff. If Urban had stayed, he would have had to clean house. So the idea that Greg Shiano, after calling that defense that year, had to go, no doubt about it. But what people, I, the thing that's in there is if Grinch had wanted to stay, I don't know if Day like might have kept him or not. Or there were some people thinking, hey, like Grinch got a raw deal here. You should keep him and let him call the defense now. And they absolved him for any blame of the safeties playing terribly that year, which I, again, like you're not in charge of making the calls. How's your room? How's your room playing? His room didn't play well. So the idea that some people absolved him of blame back then, I thought was insane. But go back and read the people absolving him of blame and putting 100% of that on Greg Schiano. Tabor Johnson had to go. Bill Davis had to go. So, like, I give, no, I give Ryan Day no credit for clearing that room at that side of the ball out because, I mean, I would have – I mean, anybody with eyeballs would have cleared that out because that was so far below the standard that Ohio State is accustomed to. But what's going to be the question now is – Will Lincoln Riley clear that out after this season? Alex Grinch came to save him. Is he going to clear him out? Or do you just get to go somewhere, make a million and a half bucks and stink? Because, because like you're anointed by what? I don't know. You had one good year at Washington State. You shut down Oregon State and Cal and Arizona State. And now you get a free ride for four years? Time to hold Alex Grinch accountable in Oklahoma. Something in my Monday Madness column, again, not to dwell on Oklahoma all day, but I think people like beating up on Alex Grinch, so maybe our, readers, our listeners will like this. But um, And I, the, here's the other thing that isn't, I guess, completely his fault, although he certainly is a factor in it. But I was looking at their recruiting over the last few years. And, and, and Oklahoma's annually like a top, what, six, eight, ten in the recruiting rankings? Like they're always up there. But you go back and look at the defensive players that they brought in, in the last two years, zero top 100 defensive players nationally. And obviously that means no – 
five-star caliber players nationally over the past two years. And then they had, I think, uh, five um, combined between 2017 and 18. One of them already transferred out. So then you go look at the other national contenders in that same span, and you've got Alabama with 20-some top 100 players. And Oklahoma – I mean, Ohio State and everybody else are up in like the 15 range, and you're getting several five-stars. And that seems to be um, a a clear – direct correlation to why Oklahoma is great at scoring points and bad at actually finishing the job and being relevant to the level of those other teams we're talking about. You know, who should be Oklahoma's starting safety right now? Josh Proctor. Josh Proctor. Yeah. You know I mean? That's like, it's not like, that's like the one guy that Ohio State has ever gone and gotten out of Oklahoma, but that's the kind of thing. I know Oklahoma should be going in and getting great corners and safeties and linebackers out of Texas. And apparently they're not make sure people, again, I just want to pump this up. This college football Monday madness column that Nathan does that in its infancy, the working title was college football S show, right? That was, (laughs) and it was like, I don't think we can put that word in a headline, but it's college football madness. It brings in what matters to Ohio state, what matters to the big 10 with a national perspective it's got some deep dive stuff. It's got some little quick hit stuff. Make sure you are reading this every Monday morning. It sort of wraps up the weekend and looks ahead. And Nathan, it's like week four of you doing it yep. now, week four, week yep. five, right? Yep. So you're really like, you're really getting like a, a good, just a lot of good takes in there that I, the thing that I like about that kind of stuff is it's national college football, but you are an Ohio state writer. So everything you're doing, it's national college football through an Ohio state lens. And that means it's not something that you can get most places. I hope so. Yeah. And, and, and um, this is a, a good week. I mean, a week coming off of upsets. So I'm going to be writing about upsets a lot, you know, not just the ones that happened and maybe why they happened, but also how much should Ohio state be thinking about this sort of thing? How much is Ohio state prone to an upset this year and why, or why not? It's obviously a, a, a different season in, in so many ways. So um, yeah, hopefully people like that. Let's talk about our market downs. We, like I said, we, we marked down every, pretty much every category, everything you could have predicted going into the season. We're going to, over a couple of weeks, I think, revisit some of those things. And today we're doing two topics. We're talking about the Heisman Trophy, and we're talking about the Big Ten standings. Our, our Heisman Trophy, I actually forgot to go back and look up all three of our votes for this, but I'm pretty sure all three of us were Justin Fields, number one, Trevor Lawrence, number two. Am I forgetting that? Am I remembering that correctly? No. I think that's right. Yeah, that was one point. Yeah. I don't remember who each of us had number three. But I thought you said you looked it up. This is what I was wondering about. I looked up the Big Ten thing. I forgot to look up this one. Um, but it was just such a runaway between those. I mean, Fields was um, – and looking at our texter results, Field, uh, Justin Fields had 221 of 234 possible points. So 94.4% of the points. He was on 70 of 78 first-place votes. It was a runaway, as you might expect, from an Ohio State podcast. Fields as number one. Lawrence, number two. Anything that you guys have seen so far that makes you reconsider that vote, either – the performance of Trevor Lawrence so far, or just the fact that Clemson gets to play and gets to kind of build up such a head start potentially on the awareness people have of Trevor Lawrence that Justin Fields has to kind of play catch up later on with his vote. So number one, I actually am pretty sure that the guy I said number three threw six touchdown passes and for more than 400 yards yesterday in a top 10 win. I'm pretty sure. I think I had Kyle Trask of Florida as my, as my third guy. Okay. And, uh, and he went nuts as like, as like the, the next borough. Six touchdown passes, 416 for Florida yesterday. Here's the thing. I think, we, I think there is a mis, um, misinterpretation of what the, – there is no Heisman race. 
It's not a Heisman race, actually. It's not a marathon. It's a 100-yard sprint that starts like the last two weeks of the season. Because there are guys all the time that, that come out of nowhere and win. Like Tua had it in the bag. It was Tua's for a whole season. And then Kyler Murray went nuts like the last two weeks and was like the over, overwhelmingly won it. So I don't think anything that Trevor Lawrence has as like a head start is going to matter because by the time we get to the end of the year, Justin Fields is going to be playing Michigan. And then Justin Fields is going to be playing in the big 10 championship game. And Trevor Lawrence is going to be playing against whoever Clemson plays. And he's going to be playing the ACC championship game and their stats are going to be close enough. And that's where it's going to matter. I don't think either of them could have a big enough lead to put the other one away. And whoever's team is looking good and whoever's playing great at the end of the year is going to win. And so I, I just don't think that any idea of Trevor Lawrence has a head start in the race. It's not a race. It's like a, it's like a boxing match. And the first eight weeks are actually just training for the match. And then like week nine is like the walk into the ring. And then week 10 is like you get in the ring and fight. And then anybody could win. So I just, I don't think it matters for either of two, those two guys, like the way the season's starting. What about just in terms of the, the number of games, too? I mean, we know that people just look at this in terms of pure stats sometimes. Um, Ohio State's going to play eight conference games and then a, a ninth, and then I guess Clemson's playing a couple more games over the course of the year, and they got a half – or Trevor Lawrence got an extra half against uh, the Citadel to, to pump his stats up a little bit. Like, I, does that factor into – Stephen, do you think that could end up factoring into this vote at all? A little bit, but more importantly, the moments in those big games so from – Justin Fields, it'll be the Penn State game, the Michigan game for Trevor Lawrence right now. It's looking like the Miami game and the Notre Dame game. It's more that, though. It's once you're in the conversation, where can you put your stamp on things? And both of those guys are going to have plenty of opportunities, even if they're not playing the same amount of games, to you know put their stamp on it. And then, yeah, if, if, if when both are playing in their conference championship games, that's kind of like their final say. So I don't think the overall stats are going to matter as much unless somebody decides to go crazy and just, you know, Rex Joe Burrow stats with less games, which is probably going to happen. If there is some old, dumb Heisman writer, so the Clemson's going to play 12 games, right? They're playing 11 regular season plus the ACC championship. I think that's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Ohio State will play eight plus the Big Ten championship. So Trevor Lawrence would play 12. Justin Fields would play nine. If some old, dumb Heisman writer says, well, uh, Trevor Lawrence threw for 5,000 yards and Justin Fields only threw for 4,000, and they played three let fewer games, I will drive to that voter's house and smother him to death with the pillow myself. That I, on behalf of Heisman Trophy voting integrity, I will commit murder this year. If people can't figure out that these guys are playing different numbers of games, and so let's not do raw stats. If they can't, they, and I'm not just saying they should have their vote taken away. I'm saying they should be taken off this earth. No, I'm not, I'm not saying I, that's probably not appropriate to talk about murder on a sports podcast. Especially now that it's premeditated. But if who, if, if who, who's going to stand up for the Heisman? I'll stand up for the Heisman. So if you guys see it, if any texters, if any listeners, if anybody here, if you see people making that argument, well, you know, 12 get, find an address and we'll take care of it. I would also hope too that the accessory. I would <laughs> I also hope, too, that maybe the voters' sophistication has progressed enough to where they can look at things like efficiency. You can look at 
per game, per attempt, those sorts of things. I don't think it's – now, I'm the biggest Heisman voter body skeptic here, right? I'm the one who thinks it's more BS than anybody else on this pod probably. But I, I do think that there are enough of the people who vote for this that are trending towards that that it might have an effect on negating some of that. Yeah, I think if, in, this is going to be the year that proves that a lot of Heisman voters don't watch games. I don't really know what's happening until it's time to vote. It's just division, man. Just divide by nine and divide by 12. It's just division. One step. Exactly. Calculator. Here's one from the 614. Mark it down, the closest Heisman race in history. I know it's chalk to say it's Fields and Lawrence, but it's chalk for reason. While many may say the Heisman is Lawrence's to lose, I think Fields is actually in the driver's seat. He's the more dominant player, and he proves it every game. Trevor Lawrence is a very good QB and a perfect NFL guy, but Fields is flashier, and flashy always lends itself to the Heisman. Stats won't tell the whole story this year with the Heisman. I think that may hurt Fields, but I still think in the end, his lack of interceptions, his running being back at full strength, and his many Heisman moments lead him to winning the tightest Heisman race ever. I think the one that I quibble with there is the, the many Heisman moments. I don't know that this is a, necessarily a Ohio State schedule that lends itself to just a ton of Heisman moments necessarily, but Clemson's doesn't either. I think they're more or less equal this season. So are you guys still both a number one Justin Fields, number two Trevor Lawrence, or is someone else getting in the mix, or are you flipping those for some reason? And, again, we're predicting who we think will win, not necessarily who we think should win because we can't vote for that yet because they haven't played the season. I do think dynamic running can be a tiebreaker for quarterbacks in a Heisman competition like this. I think, I think we, if we uh, underestimate Trevor Lawrence's running ability, I think we do, with that, do so at our own peril, both just based yeah. on what we saw – uh, in the semifinal last year, and also just his stats. I mean, he does, he does get out of move. He can do some things with his legs. I'll be curious to see how much, we've talked about that a lot, how much will Justin Fields run, both as a scrambler, both in called runs. Sometimes you just can make, that's more spectacular, right? I mean, if you're talking about moments, Stephen, and I, do th- I agree, moments do matter. Just like a straight drop back and a beautiful 75-yard pass to Chris Olave, it's cool, but it's not exactly, right? For a quarterback, it's not, you would like, you would rather see the guy spin in a circle three times in the pocket and then throw it 75 yards, all right? Or break a second. Like you, so it's interesting how that will pop up because I think we have to be honest about it. The moments do matter. But let's not forget that Trevor Lawrence can move too. Yeah, and to that point, Justin Fields' moment last year was coming back out of the tent and then scrambling outside and then finding Garrett Wilson, showing the full package as a quarterback. But, yeah, I don't, it's, it might be close. It might be a situation where Trevor Lawrence beats Miami and – then all of a sudden he's all the highs and hype is around him. And then, you know, Justin Fields comes in and he beats Penn State in Penn State at Penn State. And now the hype's back around him. And so it's not a race, but it's just every time one of them has a moment, you know, all the talk is about them until the next guy gets their moment. I do. Th- there's one name I would just like to throw out. Not that I think that this guy is actually going to get in the midst of a Lawrence Fields battle, but KJ Costello in a Mike Leach offense at Mississippi State threw for 623 and five touchdowns yeah. in a big win. Mm-hmm. At and LSU, Leach, yeah. Uh, Mike Leach, when he was at Texas Tech in 2008, I was trying to see, like, has, has Mike Leach ever – the Mike Leach offense, has it ever gotten a guy in the Heisman race? Graham Harrell finished fourth, and receiver Michael Crabtree on the same team finished fifth in 2008, and that was a crazy Graham Harrell year. So do I think K.J. Costello putting up ridiculous numbers for Mike Leach, but for a team that – I don't think anybody thinks is going to win the SEC, but if they go seven and three or eight and two, would bonkers numbers for a good team overtake Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence? 
I, I don't think so because I think like back in the era when like Andre Ware and David Klingler and like those type of guys were winning Heisman's just based on, I guess Klingler didn't win, Ware did win, just based on like crazy numbers, you know, Ty Detmer kind of stuff. I think we're past that. So I don't think only KJ Costello crazy numbers would beat two guys that seem to have it all. But it's when you put up 623, I mean, my God, you know, like it's, it's worth monitoring. And if you're trying to figure out who might also get to New York, that guy might get to New York. He's the guy Looking that I would call, Go ahead. He's the guy that would call the new Burrow because he's the transfer coming in and putting up the insane numbers. But I think, I think you're right. I think in order to really get up at the top, I think he would have to – they'd have to, like, win the West. It, yeah, it's, looking at their schedule, that's rough. I mean, they've got yeah. Texas A&M coming up, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia. If, I mean, if he gets out of that with only one loss, then, yeah, I think he has I mean, a it's the West. Just based off, yeah, just based off of that schedule. But then also, I mean, Sam Powell can – to the point of this, things heat up later in the season. If North Carolina is in an ACC championship plan against Clemson and he knocks them off, I think he's in this. I mean, he didn't have the best showing against Syracuse, but if he's steady all year and then he knocks off Clemson with some quality numbers, I think he can get into there too. 295, one touchdown, two picks. Yeah. For Sam Howell so far. So, no, I mean, I think that's right. I mean, like, if, if one of these guys beats somebody, right? I mean, if Penn State – if Penn State beats Ohio State and Sean Clifford goes nuts, then, you know, then everything, then everything's a little different. But I, I just think, I think it would take that more than it would take 600 passing yards per game for a good but not great team. I think it would take almost beating Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence on the field head-to-head to kind of make it happen. The way Johnny Manziel, and not even that, it's just so, ha- but like a huge, the way Johnny Manziel beat Bama, Right. Yeah. That like that was Johnny was running in circles and putting up big numbers, but you had to, you had to make it translate into a win. And he, and he did. And that mattered. A couple more uh, from Steve in Atlanta, Florida QB Trask will be a Heisman contender as predicted on Buckeye talk. If my memory serves, I hope sure hope someone marked it down. Well, we did and we didn't Steve, but I'm glad that you were paying attention because uh, you brought it back to us as Doug already said, and uh, another vote in here for Trask. So that's kind of what I want to talk about anybody farther down the ballot. Um, from the 614, after this Saturday's performance, Kyle Trask's performance against Ole Miss has me thinking he will get serious consideration for the Heisman. They have one of the best tight ends in the country in Kyle Pitts, and the two of them together are intimidating. They have extra games to prove themselves against nothing but the, quote, vaunted SEC defenses, quote, and I could see that giving him the edge over Justin Fields. I believe the Big Ten Conference standing remains largely unchanged. That was for the next question. So, um, And another one, Kyle Trask replacing Spencer Rattler for third on the Heisman Trophy finisher. So that's two different things to talk about there, but can we remove Spencer Rattler from the race just based on one game? I removed them from my top 25 ballot this week because I didn't know what to do with them, and I just took them out completely. And I think that's a justified thing. Oklahoma is not on my ballot this week. Um, Spencer Rattler, three interceptions in his debut. Uh, Lincoln Riley has a, has a way of, of bringing a lot out of quarterbacks, so I, I think he'll put up numbers this year. But I, I don't think he's a serious contender at this point unless they were to come back and, and run the table and be anybody else that earns some respect in the Big 12, which, as we said earlier, right now, there ain't a lot of that out there. We talk a lot about Georgia, sort of that second SEC team. When is it, oh, the, could the SEC get two in? The way week one went, it looks like Florida certainly deserves that consideration more than Georgia. So I think there's a path certainly to the playoff for Florida with Kyle Trask at quarterback even if they don't win the SEC, right? And we say it's a scramble for, the, for this fourth spot. So the fact that Kyle Trask would be on a team that, that maybe would run the table in 
the regular season and get to the SEC championship game undefeated, that would matter. That would matter for Kyle Trask. And Rattler already has a loss and looks like he's making some iffy throws. But again, let's not pretend if Spencer Rattler throws for 400 yards and four touchdowns in every game the rest of the season and Oklahoma doesn't lose again and wins the Big 12, then they might make the playoff and Rattler might make it to New York. But he looked a little iffy, right? I mean, that last interception uh, was just a bad throw that kind of snuffed out their last chance against Kansas State. I mean, you look like a guy playing in that role for the first time, really. I mean, that's what it's kind of supposed to look like to some extent, which is why you need a defense there to maybe take the pressure off that guy a little bit. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. Um, he actually was not in. Trask was not in our top eight originally um, from the, the, the texter vote that we compiled. Uh, number eight was Keaton Slovis from USC. Seven, Najee Harris from Alabama. Six was Sam Ellinger from Texas quarterback. Five, Clemson running back Travis Etienne. Four was Rattler, and three was Oklahoma State running back Chuba Hubbard. And they have not exactly blown the doors off the place early on. So I feel like you still have to keep those guys one, two at the top. I feel like after that, though, the race to get to New York, if, if, if anybody can, I mean, I, I don't know that they'd be opposed to only taking two dudes if they're the absolute runaways with the votes. But the, the race to get maybe be the third, fourth, whoever else gets to New York, I think is completely wide open at this point, as it should be. Chuba Hubbard through two games, 97 rushing yards per game. Najee Harris, his first game, 17 carries for 98 yards and three TDs. So, yeah, I mean, and I do think, I do think it makes sense that, uh, you know, other guys are going to be rusty. I think other people who, other people who aren't Bama, Clemson, Ohio State may have slow starts and, and look a little off too. But again, when you see a guy like Trask or, or KJ Costello look great early on and you see some other guys look like they're struggling, it, it, that might translate for another couple weeks. Any changes to your ballot so far, Stephen, or anything you want to add um, to who, who, who's, who's impressing you? Uh, no, I, 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 I thought Mac Jones might be a little more impressive in game one. I mean, Alabama won the game 38 to 19, but I thought I'd see more out of that just for him to maybe make his case there as Alabama's starting quarterback there. But no, so far, Justin Fields won Trevor Lawrence. I'm just going to keep Sam Howell there just because I think out of all these guys, he's got the best moment to go get because Kyle Tra- – I mean, Florida's schedule isn't the most – you know, daunting schedule in the world. It's just beat Georgia and get the SEC championship game. While, with, you know, Sam Howell, if he gets to his ACC championship game, he's playing a guy that we all think is going to New York. So I, I just think that's what separates him, even with all the numbers, guys, is a, that, a win that big, is a, that's loud. And that, get, that should get you to New York, especially if you had an impressive regular season. And, and De'Ara King was somebody who got some down-ballot support from, from Miami and was not in the, the among the top vote-getters. But he's someone I think that's probably is rising on in some people's opinions right now. Um, and they, again, they will have the opportunity to go head-to-head and, and play Trevor Lawrence. So that, that that's one of those moments where you can, you know, you can take the guy down right in front of you and, and, and pull yourself up on that vote a bit. Yeah, that's one of those. I mean, if you're like betting on this kind of thing, I might bet on King now. And then if he beats, if they beat Lawrence and Clemson, then all of a sudden it's yeah. like, holy moly, like he could, he could really vault himself into the mix. So maybe throw a little bit on that early. So that's our remark on the Heisman Trophy, which actually ended up not being much of a remark. I think we're all sticking with Justin Fields to be the Heisman Trophy winner in 2020. After this week, we're going to come back and rethink the Big Ten standings that we predicted a few weeks ago. Stick with us on Buckeye Talk. All right, we are back talking market down Monday, the remarket down Monday, not remark, but remark, marking down what we already marked a few weeks ago. Um, we're going to talk about the Big Ten standings, and this is another one where 
it, we took the, the vote of a conference wide vote of media. I think there were like 30 some guys and, 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 and women who voted in this and Ohio state was the, the runaway winner in the East Penn state, second Michigan, third Michigan state, fourth. No, I'm sorry. IU fourth, Michigan state, fifth, Maryland, sixth and Rutgers seventh. And in the West, Wisconsin was first a uh, somewhat narrow win over Minnesota uh, third, I'm sorry, fifth for Iowa, fourth was Nebraska, third was Purdue, second was Northwestern, and last was – Wait, wait, wait. I'm saying wait, that completely wait, backwards. Do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you went like third, fifth, fourth, second, seventh. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's, it's confusing because I have seven for the first place votes. And one oh, right. Them. Yeah. Um, and in the West, we had Wisconsin first, kind of a narrow win over Minnesota for first place there. Uh, third place, Iowa – fourth place, Nebraska, fifth place, Purdue, sixth place, Northwestern, and a pretty distant last was Illinois in seventh. Uh, for us specifically, here's how we all voted in the Big Ten. And maybe let's just go person by person. I'll read it off, and then you can tell me if you're changing things. I'll go first. Um, my vote was OSU one in the East, Penn State two, Michigan three, Michigan State fourth, Indiana fifth, Maryland sixth, and Rutgers seventh. The only thing I'm swapping there, and I mean, we can talk about if this is allowed under the, the stringent rules of Market Down Monday, I think I would swap Indiana and Michigan State, not because of necessarily anything I've learned about those programs. I just think I was wrong the first time. And I'm still not, like, in love with Indiana. I don't know how good they're going to be. I think maybe from four on down, this is going to be one of the weaker years in the East in a while. But, um, the, the like, the fourth, fifth spot, I think are going to be a little bit weaker. But... I'm putting IU fourth and, and MSU fifth. And in the West, I'm keeping what I had. Or I'm, I'm sorry, I'm swapping at the top. I'm putting Wisconsin first, Minnesota second, then Purdue third, Northwestern fourth, Iowa fifth, Nebraska sixth, Illinois seventh. So one swap in each division. Do you think that's allowed? If it's not necessarily because of like things we've learned, it's just like, I think I had that wrong the first time. Yeah, you're allowed to say that you were wrong. I kind of like it when people say they're wrong because I'm wrong a lot. So then when other people say they're wrong, I'm like sort of pumping my fist. Stephen, here was your ballot the first time around, and tell me if you're keeping this. In the East, Ohio State, number one, Penn State, number two, Michigan, number three, Indiana, number four, Maryland, number five, Michigan State, six, Rutgers, seven. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. And the only reason I put Maryland above Michigan State is because Michigan State is you know, in a transition year with a brand-new head coach, and Mike Loxley, I think, might be able to get a better record than Michigan State for at least one year just because of that. That's my only reasoning for it. Those are clearly the three worst teams in the East this year. And in the West, you had Minnesota 1, Wisconsin 2, Iowa 3, Nebraska 4, Purdue 5, Illinois 6, Northwestern 7. Northwestern, by the way, does not have to play Ohio State, Penn State, or yeah. Michigan. Yeah, I was wrong. I'm going to flip Illinois and Northwestern. You're going to pull Northwestern all the way up to 6th? Yes. Congratulations, Northwestern. You're no longer in last place. That's generous of you. I think I that's would just like be... to every Stephen opinion about Northwestern on this podcast from here on forward is invalid. He knows nothing about. He doesn't know what he's talking about when he talks about Northwestern. So, I'm not saying this as a Northwestern alum. I'm just saying this as someone who knows a little bit about Big Ten football. Northwestern doesn't care whether Stephen Means has them seventh or sixth because he doesn't. Stephen Means thinks Northwestern goes two and ten every year, so they'll well, pass Stephen... on his opinion. 
Stephen Means also had Iowa in the sixth tier out of seven in college football, but he's also picking him to finish third in the West this year, which I, I mean, and that's okay. I think tiers and what happens this year yeah. are different things. Yeah. Stephen Means does not know anything about Northwestern football. So like that's everybody listening to this, just make sure you take that into consideration when he votes on them. I, I had Northwestern fourth, but I think that I might, I, I thought about pulling them up to three. I just, I think Purdue is going to surprise people this year. Cause I think there's more talent there than people realize. And especially with Rondo Moore coming back, I, I, I just think they're, they're going to surprise people this year. Um, and Doug, for your ballot in the East, Ohio State one, Penn State two, Michigan three, IU fourth, Michigan State fifth, Rutgers sixth, Maryland seventh. I think I might put Indiana third. I think we have to get to this. This is actually, I'm not sure people find this that interesting. The, what has changed? The issue is what has changed? Bateman was out, now he's back. But we did this before any opt-outs. So, more, Rondale Moore at Purdue was out, now he's back. So what has actually changed? The, the Michigan State defensive end was out, now he's back. The Ohio State guys were out for two days, now they're back. I right. think the only things that, are, that, are, that actually ended up being an effect on anybody that matters since we voted, which was before any opt-outs, is a couple Michigan guys, including their presumed starting quarterback, are out, and Micah Parsons is out at Penn State. And the schedule. We know what the schedule is. And, and you know the schedule, right. And it's yeah. fun to play the schedule game. And, like, again, Northwestern has a bit of an easier schedule than some other people. So Penn State is down. They lost their best player. And Michigan is a question mark. They have a different quarterback, and they lost a couple other guys. Although Jalen Mayfield, their tackle, is back. So everything else, there, a lot shouldn't have changed unless you were just changing your mind. But, again, if we – this is why I liked voting when we did. Because we voted before the opt-outs, then we're all the, there were all these opt-outs, and people, I think, were like, well, why'd you vote so early? There's all these opt-outs. And now it's like, well, none of the opt-outs stuck. So we were right. So this is actually a pretty accurate representation of what is actually going to happen on the field. Now, you can change your mind. But I will say the uncertainty about Michigan's quarterback situation and a couple other things, I think maybe opens the door for Indiana to jump up and not get Ohio State this year, but jump up and get somebody else. They played Penn State in week one, and I was talking to somebody smart the other day who was throwing that out there. Wouldn't that be – if we're looking for trap games, Penn State gets Ohio State in week two, and their opener is Indiana, who's kind of like the friskiest middle-of-the-pack team in the Big Ten. Maybe have your ears up on that one. So I might move Indiana up to my third-place prediction in the East. And in the West, you have Northwestern 1, Wisconsin 2, Nebraska 3, Minnesota 4, Illinois 5, Iowa 6, Purdue 7. You sticking with the Wildcats at number 1? I will stick with the Wildcats at number 1. The, the schedule helps, as you said. Wisconsin, I think, is clearly like Wisconsin is just going to be Wisconsin. Minnesota, they did get Bateman back, but still it's like, was that more of a one-time thing? I might have Purdue and Iowa too low and got a little too excited about Illinois. But, but I think... Again, I thought at the time Northwestern being picked for sixth seemed a little low. And now with Peyton Ramsey being the quarterback there, veteran guy from Indiana, um, the schedule helping them, I, I think there's even more reason to have them higher than, than the overall thinking has them. Yeah, I, I understand the Minnesota skepticism. I think compared to head-to-head with Nebraska, it's just Nebraska's schedule is, is rough. I mean, they're to the point that they're whining about it, so – um, not that we justify the whining, but it, it, I think they're, they have the opposite right. issue that Northwestern has. They got hit a little hard with it. Um, yep. the, the, the concept of like 
are, are you guys bracing for any more upsets this year than we've seen in past years just because things are so uncertain? I mean, we're, again, we're seeing it in these other conferences where there's been – I don't know if it's been necessarily more stunning than any other year, but th- there have been some big ones right off the bat in these other conferences. Um, and some of it is like LSU shouldn't have been ranked sixth in the country. That plays into why that looks like such a big upset too. I had kind of I talked in last week's madness column about how I thought that was a, a big game this week because I thought there was every chance Mississippi State could go in there and win that game. So uh, any any reason to brace for more of this early on in the in the Big Ten? Absolutely, I think I think we brace for it across the board in everybody except the top three. But w- what we saw with Kansas State Oklahoma and what we saw with Mississippi State LSU, and what we saw with Texas Tech not beating Texas but giving them a game all day, that's exactly what Indiana-Penn State is. That's the, Penn, that's the Big Ten version of that. Penn State is LSU and Texas and Oklahoma and Georgia, right? In that top tier right below the number one tier. And maybe those are the programs that just when everything's nuts are a little more vulnerable And then you've got Indiana, like Tom Allen is a good, solid coach. They've got a good, solid defense with some important guys back. They have a quarterback who might be able to do some things. I think think that is the game that you look at if you're trying to take anything away from what happened on Saturday. Prepare yourself for Indiana-Penn State week one of the Big Ten season. Any, any, does this change at all who you guys are thinking of as far as the championship overall? I mean, Ohio State's going to win the championship was our prediction the first time through. Any reason to rethink that? Is, is, the, is there more of a challenge coming out of the West based on anything we've learned? I, like, as Doug said, I don't know that these, cha- these teams have changed substantially other than, um, you know, not Micah Parsons coming back and what we know about the schedule. No, I still think Minnesota's coming out of the West. I mean, they've got Michigan week one, but then after that, you know, and then Iowa and Wisconsin, those are, you know, the best game teams on their schedule. I still think Minnesota, even if they go two and one in those three games, I think that's the team that comes out of the West. And Ohio State's clearly going to come out the East. I mean, I, the West is just closer together, right? Mostly because there's not an Ohio State in the West. And so there's just more room for somebody to surprise you. So – you know, I'm, I'm predicting that Northwestern is that surprise. Again, if the team that was picked sixth in our poll, fin- to finish sixth in the West in our poll, wins the Big Ten West, that's a huge surprise. You know, Nathan, you were saying you kind of like Purdue. You know, they've got their guy back. Moore is back. So if, if the Purdue that we saw two years ago can be a little more consistent week to week and do something like that, I think maybe it, we're more open to that in a year like this. That there's just somebody, it was so overwhelming for Wisconsin and Minnesota in our West vote. Again, there were 34 voters in our preseason poll. 19 first place votes for Wisconsin, 14 for Minnesota. And then the, one, the only other one was me for Northwestern. That Iowa, Nebraska, Purdue, Northwestern. That one of those, one of the non-consensus top two winning the West seems more likely to me this year than a typical year. And it's just roll the dice on who you think it is. I think the Big Ten East right now sets up to be super, super, super boring, potentially. And I think the Big Ten West could be a heck of a lot of fun. I think there's a lot of teams that could be in the mix. It could be one of those things where we're going late in the season. This happened in that division a couple years ago where you had, I think, pretty late in the season, three or four teams that could plausibly still get to Indianapolis. The one that you and Northwestern end up getting there. I mean, you might wind up in a situation where you have like a three-way tie at two losses for first place or something. Right. And then sure. it's just, you're winding up in like how the tiebreakers work themselves out that, that late in the year, some of those rivalries, who's uh, someone had the schedule up in front of them. Like the last weekend, 
of the regular season. Is it Nebraska, Iowa, and Wisconsin, Minnesota? I think uh, is that. Yeah. No, the yeah, Minnesota and uh, Nebraska play each other, and okay. Wisconsin. Yeah, and then Wisconsin and Iowa play each other. Okay. Wisconsin at Iowa, and Purdue, and IU. At, yeah, and then Purdue, IU, and Minnesota at Nebraska and Northwestern Illinois. So I mean, like, would it? It wouldn't surprise me at all that we get to that last weekend of the regular season and like three or four teams could still be the West champion that goes to Indy based on who wins and who, who winds up tied with each other um, at two losses or something in the West. So I, I think it could be that wide open, which as you said, Nathan is fun. Is that better for the big 10 or just a big 10 need in Ohio state that's more nationally relevant? The what do big you mean? 10 West. Does the, is it better for the big 10 if like the West is this exciting thing that lasts all the way through the season, or is it better if there's a, Ohio State in the West that just runs roughshod, but then is the kind of team that big that Ohio State is in the East making a national presence in a way that nobody else in the West is doing right now. Absolutely better if there was a, an Ohio State of the West. Yeah. Nobody in Alabama or Louisiana or Florida or Texas or California is going to be like, hey, did you hear? There might be a three-way tie at two losses atop the Big Ten West. Yeah. That sure does make me interested in Wisconsin, Iowa. Like, no – Nobody outside of the Big Ten footprint will think that. So if Wisconsin is peak Wisconsin, right? If Wisconsin, if I'm, if this is completely wrong and what we're setting up for is for this to be a peak Wisconsin team that rolls through everybody and is undefeated and we have an undefeated Big Ten championship game yeah. between Ohio State and Wisconsin and you could make a logical argument for both teams to make the playoff regardless of the outcome, that's ideal for the Big Ten. Like, hey, did you – wow, they went to the 13th tiebreaker and Iowa got into the Big Ten championship game. That's fun to write about for sports writers, but I'm not sure it's great for the Big Ten. Do you feel like there's any possibility that that emerges as early as this year? Could, could somebody take that step out of the West and be more nationally relevant based on what we're seeing right now? Again, it's upsets are crazy. Um, it, it's going to have to be somebody who can cross over and – I guess it would have to be either Nebraska or Illinois almost because it's got to be somebody who can cross over and beat a team the caliber of Ohio State. I don't know if anybody else in the East is going to have that kind of uh, cachet this year. I don't know if Penn State can get there. Say the question again. Yeah. What are, just, what, do we feel like there's anybody in the West this year that can, can make that jump yet? To be can, a dominant team in the West? Minnesota. Tanner Morgan's arguably the second best quarterback in the Big Ten. Rashad Bateman is the best wide receiver in the Big Ten. And P.J. Fleck, I mean, he's on the upswing here. And they'll have a, a decent big crossover game against Michigan in week one to set the tone. And then if they run the table and beat Iowa and they beat Wisconsin at Wisconsin, then, yeah, it's got to be Minnesota. That's not that's not impossible. No, I, I think no. that's that's a very interesting – don't roll your eyes – I said it's not impossible. <laughs> you still think Northwestern is like the eighth worst team in major college football. So your West opinions are still on a probation right now. Here's the thing. Wisconsin has been on the edge of being this. And I do think that what is playing out, and I don't know, Nate, Steven said like Mac Jones at Alabama didn't set the world on fire. What, whatever people may think could maybe could play out at Alabama with Mac Jones as a veteran put QB, but Bryce Young is coming, right? Would, is there any way that we would see that transition 
this season for Alabama, the way we saw it with Trevor Lawrence a couple years ago as a true freshman at Clemson, I'm still waiting for that to maybe play out at Wisconsin. That if Jack Cohn is the veteran, but Graham Mertz, he's not a true freshman, he's the second-year guy, is this guy, and we've talked about this before, if Wisconsin has a more dynamic quarterback, does that take them a step up? So I'm curious if Wisconsin can be Wisconsin, but maybe Mertz ends up being the guy now, and does that change anything for them? So, because they've done it, right? I mean, you know, they've been good for a while. Wisconsin or Minnesota made a one-year leap into the top 10 last year, but we don't know that that is something that they can sustain. So they certainly could sustain it, but I don't think you have to assume they're going to sustain it. But the idea that Bateman, I mean, without Bateman, I think you probably may have like eliminated that. Look what happened to LSU without Jamar Chase, right? We knew LSU was losing all these guys and then Jamar Chase opts out and it's like, it's over. Well, Jamar Chase doesn't play defense. Jamar Chase didn't give up 600 and some passing yards yesterday. So I just, I don't know. Yeah. And that might be an issue for, for Minnesota a little bit too, right? I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. Don't, I don't know how good Minnesota, Antoine Winfield is looking pretty stinking good in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know how good Minnesota's defense is going to be this year. But I, I mean, I certainly, and we'll find out early. That's Minnesota, Michigan's week one. Yes. We'll find out early. I mean, that's going to be great. That's the thing about some of these Big Ten schedules. We're not, we're not starting a season where everybody's playing a Mac team in week one and you have to wait till week three or four to find out. You're going to find out about Ohio State, Penn State a little bit in week two, and you're going to find out something from Minnesota, Michigan in week one. Hey, I, you know who's looking forward most to Wisconsin fixing something at quarterback? I think it's us because then we get to cover a Ohio State, Wisconsin, Big Ten championship game that isn't just the same story that we cover every year, more or less. It would be it'd bring a nice, refreshing new wrinkle to that, something for us to kind of analyze beyond um is wisconsin gonna be able to run the ball well enough against ohio state without being able to throw the ball at all i mean it's just i hope this is a crop of big 10 quarterbacks on the rise i hope graham mertz at wisconsin to his brother at maryland jj mccarthy when he gets to michigan next year michael Penix at indiana um whoever jeff brom conjures up at purdue i'm not sure who the next guy up there is I mean, I just – I would love to see a world where you're seeing the, there are dynamic quarterbacks in the Big Ten beyond who's playing for Ohio State. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this Market Down Monday. We will probably revisit our national championship college football playoff predictions on a, f- a future episode of Market Down Monday, so we're not done with the remarks. But thanks to, to those of you who helped us with your text, 614-350-3315. Read my Monday Madness column uh, tomorrow morning after you listen to this podcast or if you've already read it. Thanks for doing that. And for Doug and Steven, that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.